All right, we are continuing along the chronological life of Jesus, and we are in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And you will recall that what's taking place here in Luke chapter 14 is Jesus was invited into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. And last week I said that this must be back in Jerusalem, but I went and I checked it, and it's not. It's still in Perea. So he's still on the east side of the Jordan here. But he's in this Pharisee's house, and he's eating. And we're going to pick it up in verse 15. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is sitting at this this meal in this Pharisee's house. And remember what we talked about last week, how this Pharisee and the other Pharisees that were there were there predominantly to watch him and to examine what he would do. Now, one of the people sitting at the table said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So, one man makes a comment, and now Jesus is responding to that comment. But remember the Pharisaic teaching. The Pharisaic teaching was that every Jew had a part in the kingdom of God. That every Jew would essentially get to heaven just by being inherently Jewish. And, and in fact, there was a saying that Abraham, if, if, if there was a slip up and somebody was slipping into going to a place other than heaven, Abraham was there to grab every Jew and bring them into heaven. So that's what this man is talking about. He said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. And now Jesus, in response to this comment, Jesus now gives this parable in verse 16 of Luke chapter 14. But he said to him, a man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen. And I'm going, out, uh, I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I've married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Okay, so in response to that man saying, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, suggesting that, look, we're all going to get into the kingdom, we're all Jews. Jesus responds to that directly. And he says to that man, it says in verse 16, but he said to him, to who? To that man who made that comment, he starts to give this parable. And he says, there was a man who was giving a big dinner and he invited many. So, so many had been invited to that dinner. So he says, this man was giving a big dinner and he invited many. So many had been invited. So this is obviously a very rich man is giving a big dinner feast. And it says, 
And he invited many. So many had been invited. They knew about this feast coming. It wasn't like, oh, you mean there's a feast today? I'm shocked. No, they knew about it. They had been invited. Invitations had been given that on such and such a day, there is going to be a big dinner feast. And it says, and at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to those who had been invited, saying, come, for everything is ready now. So they should have come on their own. He should not have even had to have sent his slave. It was the dinner hour. They should have known to show up on that day to this feast. That is something that they should have already known. But they didn't show up, so he sends their slave to say, come on, everything's ready now. And it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. So think about this. He says, I bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Ah, you didn't look at it before you bought it? Um... Is it going to be different tomorrow than it is today? You know, only natural disasters can change landscape overnight. And barring that, it's going to look about the same tomorrow that it will look like today. So you see how poor of an excuse it really is. I bought a piece of land and I have to look at it. I have to go see it. I need to go out and look at it. And you look. <laughs> you looked at it. You bought a piece of land. You look at it. You saw it. But the excuse, you see, is really not very good. But in his own mind, he was justified because he bought it. He had spent some money. So now he needs to go and look at it. And then it says... Um, uh, but another one said, I bought, in verse, in verse 19, but another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. So here, this next one says, I bought five yoke of oxen. So what were yoke of oxen used for? They were used for farming. He's got five yoke of oxen. So he's doing rather well in life. It's not just a single yoke. He's got five yoke of oxen. So he's got ten oxen here, and he says, I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. You're going to try them? How about trying them tomorrow? It's not like they're going to run away. I mean, you can, you can try. So you see, again, the excuse is not very good. The first excuse had to do with land, with material things. The second excuse has to do with work. This is a job, you know. Got to do it. Man's got to work, you know. But it was the dinner hour. It was the hour for dinner. Well, I'm a busy man. Got to work. Got to try these oxen out. And the third one in verse 20 says, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. Huh? (laughs) Now, I could see if this man had been married 20 years. My wife says I can't go, so I can't go. But I don't think he's to that stage yet. He's just, he said, I've married a wife, so I can't come. And what this talks about is the pleasures of life, or the distraction of family. Now, this was spoken particularly to this man in the context of, you Pharisees have been invited. 
you have been invited, but you have made excuse upon excuse not to come to Jesus, the Messiah. And because of that, you're going to lose out. Because you've made excuses. I did every miracle that I was supposed to do as Messiah, I did. Even the miracles that you taught only Messiah would be able to do, I did. Yet you have not come. You're going to lose out. But you look at the excuses, and then what happens is, yes, Jesus spoke this to a particular person. But all of this has effect on our lives. And it is the common characteristic of people. It is because of my possessions, I cannot come. Because of my possessions, I cannot be involved with you, God. You know, I'm a man of many possessions, and I've got to take care of my possessions. And the next one says, you know, I'm really busy. I mean, I hear this all the time. I'm really busy. And I'm like, oh yeah, and I don't do anything. You are a really busy man, aren't you? You have four classes. Busy life. Really busy life. But that is the excuse. When you think about it, it really makes no sense. This is the dinner feast that has been prepared by the king. And he says, come. He invites. And he says, come. And the excuses that we make really have very little sense most often. And another one said, I've married a wife. I have seen this. Hey, you know, I just got married. There's a verse in the Old Testament that says, when a man marries, let him not go to war for one year, that he may be with his wife. Well, why would it say that? Well, because he had to raise up offspring, so he wanted to be sure that offspring was raised up. So he was not to go to war for one year, because what happens in war? You die in war. Generally, going to a Bible study doesn't make you die. So that just because you got married should not hinder you from partaking. And in fact, the best thing that he could have done for this wife that he had married was to bring her along to church. I'll tell you, and family. People have all sorts of excuses for not getting involved because of family. A couple will have a child... And you don't see him for six months. Where were you? I haven't seen you. Well, you know, it's just tough getting out with the baby. Uh, I've had four children. We never missed a day at church. I mean, if, if my wife had to stay home because we just brought the baby home from the hospital and the baby was like two days old, I came with the other kids. I mean, we still managed to come. And this, this is going to happen. One day you're going to have children, and it works this way. You have this child, get them all dressed up for church, you're going out, and just as you're going out, they're going to vomit right down your back. And so it's all over your clothes and all over them. But you just, you just know this is what's going to happen. This is what life is like with children. So what you do is you carry a diaper rag, and you wipe it off, and you go. And you smell like, like, like child vomit all the time. You just do this. This just happens for a year. This is just part of life. Now, now baby vomit is different than grown-up vomit in, 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 this, in the sense of the intensity of the smell. But, but, um, but this is normal. This is normal life when you have children. So when you have a child, you don't say, well, you know, we've we got to stay home because of the child. No, the best thing that you can do is to bring that child. The best thing that you can do. We make excuses for not wanting to go on with them. You know, I'm just so tired. I'm just so tired. I, I just, 
Wait, you eventually got up in the morning, didn't you? And you went to class, or you went to work, or you did something. You eventually got up. So spend time with the Lord. Wake up 30 minutes earlier, go to bed 30 minutes, go to bed 30 minutes earlier. You can make excuses all day that you're very busy, that you have a lot of work to do, that you're tired. And Jesus is like, I'm inviting you to spend time with me. I mean, this is a pretty good deal. The king of all the earth, the king of all the universe is there to meet with you in the morning. Lord, I'll be here in the morning and we'll just spend time together. And he says, okay. Well, he's there and you're not. I mean, there are excuses that come in. And what he's showing is that the vast majority of excuses are illegitimate. And what they do is they keep us away from the kingdom of God. The Lord calls us to spend time with Him. The Lord calls us to be with Him. You may be here for some internship for a year, or for two years, or in school for four years. Don't get in your mind, oh well, when I get out of school, then I'll spend time with the Lord. That's a lie. You spend time now. Moses was faithful in all of God's household. Work and obligations don't go away when you get done with school. And generally, you have to be at work pretty early. And especially if you, you're some young auditor traveling around the country. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it keeps you busy. Flying into different time zones, and you've got to get up and do things, and, and uh, uh, they'll keep you there all day. And there are things that you have to do. Busyness will never stop. You say, well, when I retire, then I'll seek the Lord. No, then you'll be too weak. You'll be sitting in some wheelchair and drooling. I mean, you won't have the strength to do what you need to do. You do it now. You do it now. You spend time with the Lord now. He calls you. This was spoken to a specific man. Then he says, he said uh, um, in verse 21, And the slave came back and reported and said, Master, it said to his master, then told this to his master. Then the head of the house became angry and he said, go out at once into the streets, into the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. This was a direct attack on the Pharisaic mindset because those who were poor and crippled and blind and lame, it was, remember, their mindset was this has come upon this person because of a judgment from God that they must have sinned, so something must have come upon them. And the mindset in Israel was not like our mindset today, where we well understand and appreciate that if a person's blind, they're, they're just as smart, if not smarter, than anyone else. If a person's crippled, they're just, they're just, their mind and their, their, their emotions are just as, as acute as anyone else. If a person's poor, it has nothing to do with what they are as people in the sight of God. But this was not the case in Israel, and, and, and uh, cultures were different, times were different. Let me have you look at, at, at one verse here in Second Samuel chapter five. Second Samuel chapter five. We know what a great man David was, right? King David was a great man, a great conqueror. But just get a glimpse of what it was like several thousand years ago. In Second Samuel chapter five, verse eight, it says. David said on that day, so let me, let me just put this in context. They were attacking the city of Jerusalem. Still Jerusalem. David was the one who conquered the city of Jerusalem. The Israelites had come in hundreds of years before this. 
many hundreds of years before this, they still had not conquered Jerusalem because that's up on top of a, 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 a mountain. And there's these, the, the, the rock walls are, <clears throat> are almost vertical going up there. And then they, had a <clears throat> then they have this wall around it. And even to this day, when you drive to the city of Jerusalem, I remember the first time I was driving in, I was sitting in the back of the cab and looking at that city of Jerusalem. And you can see the old walls and the, 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 the cliffs going up there. And you're like, how could you ever conquer this city? You know, if you don't have, you know, helicopters to fly in. And, I mean, how do you conquer this city? It's just so difficult. So finally, David was the one who conquered that city. And what they did is the Jebusites, it says, put the crippled and the blind up on the walls of the city and mocked David, saying, you can't get in here. Even we could keep you out of it. And so in response to that, when, when David is conquering the city, look in verse 8 of 2 Samuel chapter 5, it says, David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him reach the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul through the water tunnel. Therefore they say the blind, the, therefore they say, the blind or the lame shall not come into the house. So the way, it was actually Joab, who became general, who came in through the water tunnel. And when you go to Jerusalem today, you can take a tour of the water tunnels and see the tunnels, how they got in. They, they swam through these water tunnels which feed the city. And that's how Joab got in with his men and then opened the city gates. And, and so, but here's the attitude toward the blind and the lame. So David's a nice guy, but I'm telling you, times change, generations change. So we can't look back in a judgmental way because times change. I'll give you an example. It might be that in 50 years, you know, you, you might be talking, people say, you're, you're old now. So in 50 years, you'll be like 70 years old. Did, did you drive around in cars that was burning gasoline? Oh, yeah, yeah, we did it all the time. Sometimes we just go around for a joyride or something. You mean you knew that all that CO2 caused global warming? And still you did that? Uh, well, just everybody did it back in those days. You, you see what I mean? People will try to judge you based on a different time frame, and you'll be like, uh, it, it, it's him. I mean, I, I, I wasn't driving. You, know, you try to blame it on somebody else. So, so just to give you the context, this is just to give you the context of the Pharisaic uh, uh, teaching and then Jesus' teaching when he's saying, invite in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. I mean, this is striking. He's saying to these Pharisees, you guys aren't getting in. But these people who you have no value for, who you devalue, they're coming in. And then it goes on. It says, after he, they go out and, and they they." try to bring those in, uh, it, it says uh, in verse 22, and the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. This is in Luke 14, 23. And the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. So what's this speaking of? This is speaking of the Gentiles going out and beyond. And that's exactly what happens. Remember the verses we read out of Romans? That if you are not a Jew, 
and you have come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, one of the reasons this has happened is to make the Jew jealous, the Scriptures say. By your walk, you make them jealous. He draws in the Gentiles, those who are not of the Jewish nation. And this is what he's talking about. He says, they're going to come in. And that's exactly what you see. The poor of, of that generation were the ones that were coming into the church predominantly, many of them. The church reached out to the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame, just as Jesus had done. And that is the reason why the church grew to be the predominant world religion within 200 years. Because they reached out to the poor. They reached out to those in need. So when we do that, it grows the church. And that's exactly what happened. And then, right after that started happening, then the Gentiles started coming in. And this is what he's talking about. And then he says, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Now, when Jesus says none, it doesn't mean zero. Just like when the Scriptures say all, it doesn't generally mean everyone. You say, no, the Scripture means what it says. Well, then how did Paul come in? Paul was a Pharisee. How did Paul come into the kingdom? How did Paul come in? So, it really, when Jesus said none... He says, none of those men. He is speaking predominantly the, the, the Pharisees were not going to accept. Now, individuals could come out, but collectively they were not going to accept. What does this mean for us? It means that we have to watch our excuses today. We take this seriously. The other thing that happens is, if, if you're not a believer, if you've not accepted Jesus, there is this thing that, oh, well, one day I'll accept. You know, I'm, I'm real busy right now. I'm here on an internship for two years. And then, you know, I'm just too busy to accept. No, you accept the Lord today. Jesus said, today is the day of salvation. Receive the Lord today. Don't let it go. The opportunity might well pass you by. Because life has a way of encroaching upon you. And so many things come and fill you. Remember how it says the Word of God was sown on certain soil and the cares and the worries of the world choke it out. This happens all the time. Come to Him today. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I'm a sinner and come into my life. And He will. He will. Because He answers the prayer. He answers that prayer. Okay, now let's look in verse 25. Of Luke chapter 14. Now large crowds were gathering along with him. And he turned and he said. So, so here now there's large crowds. So it's, it's as if the dinner is over at this Pharisee's house. And now there are these crowds around him. And he turned and he said to them. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, finish, all those who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish? Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while he is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, 
None of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for soil or for manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus here in, in this passage is speaking about discipleship. This is different than salvation. Discipleship is a step further. Salvation is the first step. This is where we ask Jesus to come into our life. Father, forgive me. It re- it's a recognition that I am a sinner. Father, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. And then, when He comes in, we are saved. That is not something that can be taken away from you. That is, can never be taken away. What He's calling them to now is discipleship. The next step of walking with Him and wanting to grow in Him. This is where many, many excuses come. People will get saved and they want to have nothing to do with discipleship because there is a cost involved. And He says to them, he turned to them and he's saying, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own, mother, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This term hate is typical Jewish speak. It speaks of choice. So if you look back in Matthew, so if you look at the beginning of the New Testament is, is Matthew, go one book back and that's Malachi. Uh, one book back before that, that's Malachi. And in, in, in Malachi chapter 1, in Ma- Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, it says, God is speaking, God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. So God says he loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. But if you look at the Old Testament, God blessed Esau. So, so, you, so you had these two children, Jacob and, and Esau, these children of Isaac. And God blessed both of them. God blessed both of them. So, so, so uh, uh, these people, the, the, these, uh, these men were blessed. Esau was blessed. But why does God say, Esau, I hate it? It was because of a choice. God made a choice and he chose Jacob and he blessed Jacob. Esau rejected the things that God had put before him, but still God blessed him, still God loved him. But this hate, this term hate speaks of a choice. Which will you decide upon? So when we go back and we we look at this portion as it talks about in Luke chapter 14, this speaking of this hating your, your mother, your father and your mother, this speaks of a choice. This is typical Jewish speak. Typical Jewish speaking. This is the way they spoke. They well understood what he was speaking about. That it was a matter of choice. Whom will you choose? If you choose mother or father over me, or wife or brothers over me, you have to be able to reject those. If, it, if, if, if there's a difference. And so let, let me, let, let's look at another verse that puts this in another context. Uh, let's look at um, Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus expands on this a little bit. Mark chapter 10, reading from verse 28. Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left 
everything and followed you. So here Peter is coming to Jesus and saying, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in this present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So this is in Mark chapter 10. We were reading from verse 28. So Peter says, you know, we've left everything to follow you. Now that was only kind of true at that point. Because we remember that after Jesus died, uh, 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 Peter went back to fishing. Well, so he still had his fishing boat. He still had his nets. So he really hadn't left everything. He still had, had some things. And Jesus said, Behold, he, Jesus said to him, I say to you, there's no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake or for the gospel's sake, but will receive a hundred times as much now and now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. Let me give you a practical example of this. I have, I have two siblings. And of the three of us, I'm the only one who's come to know the Lord. I've given my life to the Lord. I have so many more friends, so many more acquaintances, so many more people that I know than my brother and my sister know. I have so many more relationships with people than they have. When you come into the body of Christ, into the kingdom of God, you come into so much. And what happens is, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a busy guy. I don't, I don't have time for anybody else. Well, you know, you really miss out. It even talks about how you will have you give up your farm, you'll have a hundred times more farms in this life. It's amazing. I don't own any farm. I don't own any hunting land. I don't own any, any uh, uh, lakes for fishing. And so, so, you know, you think, well, why don't I just save up money and buy a ranch like all these other Texans? I don't need a ranch because then I've got to pay taxes on it. I get, <laughs> I get invitations all the time to go to ranches to go to hunting ranches, I can hunt exotics anytime I want. I could hunt deer anytime I want. I could hunt, I could hunt uh, uh, um, um, anything I want. Anything that's available to hunt, I could hunt. Everybody invites me to the ranch, not just in Texas. And I get invited fishing all over the place. I don't have time to go fishing. And people are like, when are you going to come to my ranch? I mean, they're begging me to go to their ranch that they're paying for, to stay in their ranch house that they're paying for, and, and, and to enjoy the comforts that they're all paying for. I got a guy who has this huge ranch in Colorado. He's shown me pictures of it. this mountains, this stream that runs down from the mountains, this house, and just mountains all around it. And this guy comes to my office at Rice. He says, you've got to come to my ranch. You just bring your whole family, bring, your, bring these college students, bring them all. <laughs> and I... <laughs> yeah, there you go. And... And I have all of this available to me. And there's fishing there, there's hunting there, and there's all of this. 
And I've been invited out to the Navigator's Ranch. I've been invited out to different ministries want me to go out to their ranch. And they'll pay the whole way. And they say, we'll pay for your wife too. Bring her too. Yeah. And, and so, so much is offered to me that I never would have had, that my siblings don't get. The relationships that I have, I can go anywhere in the world. I go different people. Oh, I've been in your home. You know, people have been to my home and they welcome me all over the world. When you come into the body of Christ and you start giving, there is so much that you get. And we feel like, Lord, I've given up everything for you. But I've gotten back so much. It's, it's like that when people say, you know, are you really supposed to tithe these days? You know, tithing was an Old Testament thing. Yeah, it was an Old Testament thing. If you want an example of how much they gave, look at the New Testament example. It says they gave everything. Right? So a tithe is not a bad place to start. And I would feel like I'm ripping the church off if I didn't give at least a tithe. I really would. Look at what they've invested into my life. Everything that I know about the Scriptures, everything I've learned through the church, I learned next to nothing as a Jew. Because I was a very secular Jew, I learned next to nothing when I was a Jew growing up. Everything I know about the Bible, I've learned through the body of Christ. My children have been taught through Awanas, through the body of Christ. They've been taught so many things that I never learned. I mean, they always had activities. Always had things to do through the body of Christ. And you know what, what happens is, I didn't have to spend gobs of money on psychiatrists and counselors for my kids. Because they had the body of Christ, and they had good advice, and they had people surrounding them, pouring into their lives. You look at all the people that are serving in, right now, at this hour, in the children's ministries, they're pouring themselves out for free into the lives of other people. My children learned about music. Not from me. I don't know anything about music. Nothing. Zero. They learned all this from the body of Christ. People pouring into their lives. This is what I've gotten out of the body of Christ. When, 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 uh, when my wife was ill, uh, people came and they surrounded us and they cooked for us. And they took care of us. When, 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 uh, because they knew when Shireen was sick, she was going to die. <laughs> Somebody doesn't cook for him. And, 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 and so they, they took care of us. I remember the, the, um, Shireen got ill once and, and we were living in South Carolina at the time. And I remember... Um, this lady came over and she brought this, this pot of stew and uh, um, this, 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 some pound cake for dessert. And, 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 and uh, Shireen was in the bedroom and I served the girls that night. And, and uh, um, I, my, my sons weren't born yet and I was serving the girls and we ate. And, and uh, the, la- the lady came back later on that evening to pick up the, the, the empty dishes. And I thanked her for the stew and for the pound cake. She said, what pound cake? She said, the pound cake that was in that pan. She said, she said uh, that was cornbread, you dumb Yankee. <laughs> I thought it was pound cake. I mean, the girls and I ate it for dessert. So, so from New York, you just, you just never had cornbread. Then Doesn't cornbread kind of look like pound cake? A little bit? <laughs> anyway, they took care of us. These are the memories that I have of the body of Christ. This is what the body of Christ does. And this is what Jesus is saying. And he says to them, back in Luke, he says, this is what discipleship is. 
you've got to be willing to give these things up because my parents didn't want me coming into the body of Christ. But I made a decision to come anyway. I made a decision to come anyway. Jesus said, you have to love Him and seek Him even if your parents don't want you to. Even if your spouse doesn't want you to. Even if your children don't want you to. You come to the Lord. I've ne- I never say children should disobey their parents except in what the Scriptures talk about. And it's in coming to Jesus and in growing in faith. There you disobey your parents. Because He says, this comes first. And in this, you receive the Lord. You be drawn to the Lord in this. If your spouse doesn't want you to come to the Lord, you still come. This is something you do. You still come to the Lord. This is what He calls us to. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your mercies. Thank You, Lord, for the goodness of God which calls men to repentance and women to repentance. And Father, I pray for those here that don't know You that they would stop making excuses of saying that they'll, they'll, they'll come later or they'll put it off to later. Father, I pray that this day they would say, Father, forgive me because I am a sinner. God, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Lord Jesus, come into my life and fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray for those others here who are making excuses from becoming disciples of Jesus. Who are making excuses because of their work, because of their pleasures, because of their relationships. Father, lest they be cast out. Father, I pray that they would make a decision to follow you wholeheartedly. That they would commit to spend time with you that they would so order their schedules to do that. Father, work in their lives, I pray. Do that, I ask. Lord, you are so good. Do a work in the lives of these young people. In the name of Jesus.